Hello and welcome to the All In Football podcast. This week we are hostless. Our dear friend Cully is recovering from his second COVID vaccine, so we wish him a speedy recovery and we can't wait to see him as soon as possible. Today we have myself, self-proclaimed fantasy football guru, Alex Rex, all-round football connoisseur, Thomas Hughes, and our very own EFL expert, Scott Williams. Today, we're going to discuss the All-English Champions League final and the potential of a clean sweep of Europe's top trophies for the second time in three years after Liverpool and Chelsea's wins in 2019, the impact that might have on our England team, the Premier League's Hall of Fame, the social media boycott alongside diversity in football, and a number of other topics, including the protests at Old Trafford. We're all in football, we're on social media as well, all in Football Pod on Instagram and All in Football Pete on Twitter. Right, lads, let's get started. Let's talk about a great week for English football across Europe. Scott, Manchester City have finally made a Champions League final. How good was City and are they the favourites for the final with Chelsea, even after Chelsea beat them in the FA Cup? Yeah, um, they were all right, weren't they? Didn't look too bad. Um, yeah, very impressive. Um, they're, they're a great team to watch out at the end of the day. Just the, the tick-attacker, little one-two, round the players, scored a goal. It's football, isn't it? It's easy. But it's also easy when you spend about a billion pounds on players, isn't it? So, um, they, they, long overdue, long overdue getting to the final with the amount of money they've spent, the amount of talent they've had. Um, they, they're a great team to watch and we are going to look back in a lot of years and, and marvel at them. But, can they win a Champions League final? They're heavy favourites, but against this Chelsea side, what two two shells done coming into it? It's definitely not going to be an easy one. What will be very interesting for me is the weekend fixture. They play each other. Uh, it'd be great to see how they both approach that, and it will just be like a bit of a uh, bit of a warm up game for them both, especially with Chelsea um, obviously doing them in the uh, in the semis of the of the uh, the FA Cup there. So it'll be very interesting there. So yeah. I, I I hope I hope it'll be a good game, the the Champions League final. My my big worry is that it's gonna be uh, as tepid as the FA Cup semi-final, which wasn't the greatest game in the world. Um but yeah, after ten years of City trying to get to a Champions League final, they finally got four. What, um, what I would say is the last few years there has been some very tepid games in the Champions League, actually, I think. And I don't know the fact that the crowds haven't been there. Maybe they've not had that pre- added pressure and, and the players haven't been as nervous because they've been quite entertaining to watch, being, especially obviously like your PSGs. Your Real Madrid have been pretty entertaining to watch as well. So I'm with you on that. I hope it's entertaining, but I can see it being a cagey affair, unfortunately. Yeah. I've, I've, I think it definitely will be cagey. All you have to look at is Chelsea honestly, have been brilliant under Tuchel because they're great defensively and very solid. And City are going to be nervous because, you know, they want this so badly. You can see it from the way they celebrate that semi-final win. So it's going to be tepid, 100%. I did see that and I thought it was, I mean, you know, guys, we were all excited. You know, you make make a Champions League final, you're going to celebrate, aren't you? But the both teams, I think I found it quite embarrassing, actually, their celebrations, like like they'd won the trophy in the dressing room after. And it's like, come on, guys, you've not won anything yet. And it's it'd be a, a massive, massive, massive problem for Manchester City, I think, if they lose this final. They're, they're a huge, I think they're huge favourites, like, to win it overall. Because they played half a team against Chelsea in the FA Cup semi-final, realistically. And with Pep's know-how and now he's won that trophy before, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a bit of a disaster for them if they don't win this. Um, uh, but, Tom, I'll come to you. Uh, because you love talking about Phil Foden. Uh, Foden, Stones and Mason Mount, of course, scoring his goal. They all shone in the huge, huge games. How good is this for England? Really, really good. Uh, Really good. Um, But only if Gareth Southgate plays them, right? That's the big if. So it all depends on what Gareth ends up doing. I still don't think that we see Foden and Mount on the pitch at the same time in in the Euros for some reason. I just think he's going to go with what he knows, which is going to be a front three of Rashford, Kane, Sterling, something along those lines, which means that you don't have room for both Foden and Mount. And then when you start talking about Grealish as well, I know he's been injured, but there's just so many pieces there. And and I do feel a little bit sorry for, for Gareth Southgate because he does have to find a way to integrate them. And yes, Foden has been brilliant. I love him. I love him to bits. 
But he is also just breaking through. He is a big game player. I genuinely think that. He's shown that he is. But do you go straight away with him into a major tournament? Has he had enough exposure in the England team? And um, I just don't see Gareth playing him. It, I do think it's brilliant that we've got so many options. Stones, to be honest, is for me more important than Foden and Mount because actually we've been so poor at the back for so many years. Having a solid centre-back partnership will mean more than potentially having those creative players, which, to be honest, we've never really struggled with. We've always had that talent in there. Uh, so, yeah, could be brilliant for us. Could be brilliant for us, but they've got to play. And uh, I don't think Gareth will play in both at the same You've time. You've got Sancho as well coming into an absolutely explosive form in Germany. If anyone keeps an eye over in there, he's, he's doing what Sancho did last year and the year before. So, I'll tell you what, competition for places is hot. But fucking hell, isn't that good? Isn't that fucking amazing going into a major tournament? How excited we are. Can't wait. It is, it is Scott. It is Scott. But I genuinely think if you, I, I think if you've got a player, a man who actually plays on form, because Gareth talks about that a lot, but I don't actually think he always does. Otherwise, why would we have seen Eric Dyer all these years? You know, <laughs> he's not. He's just. I just don't have the faith in him to play the informed players. He's going to play who he's built up over time. I think it's going to be Sterling, Kane, Rashford. Even if they don't deserve to be in that starting eleven, I genuinely think that's his his preferred front three right now. Do you not think it's really, really telling now that Sterling's been dropped for the big games? Uh, so if Pep's dropping him for the big matches that he has done for the for the Champions League, surely Gareth can't start him. He's so out of form. He's not delivered. He's he's even he's not even been picked this time round. But but Southgate's shown that okay, yeah, he'll bring informed players into the into the fold into the squad. But when he has to, when it comes down to it in the big games, he's pretty consistent in picking players that he has he, he looks unfavorably I think Mount will start I definitely think Mount will start Gareth likes Mount and a lot of people have said oh, he's got to love him with Mason Mount Mason Mount's brilliant he should be in that 11 anyway so no no problem with that but he has also shown you know loyalty to players that maybe are out of form but have done well for England and you know I, so I, I, I just don't see him I just don't see Foden starting in the big games I, I, I just don't James as well, it has to be noted. He's not been playing in the big games as well at right back. I know he's originally in our teams, but I think quite quite simply the last five or six game weeks, Trent's mm. form has, has blown James out of the water. And it's been amazing to see him step up. And that's a but what about Cal Walker? Oh, Cal Walker's, Cal Walker's been brilliant against PSG. So If we're only taking two right backs at the moment, it's Walker and Trent. Agreed. Like, it's uh, and it's amazing how that can just change in what five weeks was doing this yeah. podcast. Uh, so it's what we, it's what we said um, though, isn't it? Like we can come back into this podcast in five weeks. We could be sat here in another month just before the Euros, and it could be totally different. And um, we could be saying, "How is Aaron Wan Pasaka not getting in the squad?" But that's a different debate altogether, isn't Alex? I know. Apart, just to finish up on that, but if you ha- just apart from Harry Kane, because I think we'd all agree Harry Kane starts. He's the first name on the team sheet most of the time. Apart from Harry Kane, who is the most important attacking player based on current form, and who should 100% get a starting place in that in the be- in the biggest games in that tournament? For me, attacking player Foden. Foden. <laughs> it's funny though. I, I guarantee you, I don't, I don't, I don't see Southgate starting him. I just don't. If in the biggest games, like it'll be Rashford, Kane, Sterling, you just know it. I can tell you right now, it'll be that. Well, I'll uh, I'll move move it on because otherwise we'll talk about England all day again, won't we? <laughs> but um, Tom, I've got to mention about Ruben Diaz and the impact that he's had on this City team. Is it the same level sort of impact that Virgil Van Dijk had on that Liverpool team? And it looks like they finally found Vincent Company. Well, finally found it since in two years to found Company's replacement. No, it isn't the same impact. It's better. And uh, Liverpool fans are going to be very upset about that. Very upset because I know how much everybody loves Virgil van Dijk, but Diaz has had a bigger impact on City than Liverpool, uh, VVD did at Liverpool. And if you, I know you love stats, Alex. So first 25 games, uh, VVD had 15 wins. They conceded 24 goals during those uh, during those first 25 games. So about a goal a game. Diaz first 25 games, 18 wins and only 10 goals conceded. 10. And before Diaz went in, it was 0.8 goals conceded per game for City. And in those first 25 games, 0.4. So 
he's better than VVD. He's had a bigger impact in terms of what he's actually brought to that City team. We could all see that that's where their, their fragility was. And actually, look at them now. They're back to their absolute best. And that has come from confidence in the back. Because actually, when, and at Liverpool, I'm not doubting VVD's impact at Liverpool. But in terms of what they've delivered, City are going to go and win probably three trophies this year. And not only did uh, Diaz help deliver trophies or is in the process of helping delivering trophies, but he's also you know, had a huge impact um, on John Stones specifically. Uh, between him and Stones, when they've played together, they've actually, and this was only up until the end of March, so um, th- this information might be a little outdated, but up until the end of March, when Diaz had played with Stones, they'd actually scored more goals between the two of them than they conceded. Just put that into context because uh, John Stones was gone and out a year ago and I don't think that you can put all of that down to just John Stones getting better. He's got a good, a, a very, very good partner next to him. My point is similar to what you're saying there. The reason I think Virgil van Dijk is a much bigger impact is because who's he had his partnerships with? Lovren, Matip, Joe Gomez. All okayish players, but they're not Laporte, who just spent how many millions on? John Stones, who, yeah, he had a bad run of forms, and I agree with what you're saying about bringing him on. But how many millions? And how many millions on the other players that have that played in that position as well? So, for me, Virgil van Dijk's come into that centre-back partnership, which really struggled. And for me, he, he made a bigger impact as a team as a whole. So, for me, slightly different. I, I, I do agree with what you're saying, Tom, but I think you're also a bit wrong. It's um, it's it's the uh, the impact on the other players around him. I think's been great watching Cancelo step up this season, Zinchenko as well, and and Rodri being able to play that holding midfield role by himself that he wasn't able to do the season before. Um, yeah, I think it's very very similar impacts, is my my opinion. And you know, I'm going to get a pain in my backside from sitting on the fence on that one. But I think they've been incredibly similar across the board. That's what a host does, mate. I mean, stats, stats don't lie. Stats don't lie, do they, Alex? You know, <laughs> stats man. I've just given you stats that just prove that it's Diaz, hundred percent. You, so. you can't wait for my fantasy football. There's so many stats, and that's going to blow your mind. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I do, I do like the stats, and and I think at the end of the day, Diaz is, is definitely it had an incredible impact on the team. Um, I'm going to move on quickly. Uh, in addition to this, we could potentially have an all-English Europa League final as well. Scott, does this cement the Premier League as clearly the best league in the world? But also, is there a factor that a lot of the big European powers are in transition at the moment and they are struggling, hence them jumping on the back of the Premier League six and the for the European Super League? I think my answer to that is yes and no. Um, does it cement that the Premier League is the best league? Depends on what you mean by the best. It's boring this year. Uh, if, you, if you just go for the title challenge, you look at Spain, you look at France, you look at Italy, you look at these other leagues, they're still going to like the last game of the season, not Italy, but Spain is ridiculously, France is ridiculously close. So actually, as a more of an exciting league, I would say they're better this year without shadow of a doubt. And last year, it was boring for the title as well. We're lucky the previous year, it was incredible how the title race went. Quality-wise, yeah. But how much money have our big teams spent? They should be up there. Um, I would I would agree that some of the teams are going through transition. Obviously, Bayern getting a new manager, young manager at the end of the year coming in. Real Zidane part two. I think he's done well there. To be fair, and and uh, Coman at, at Barca certainly seems to have turned it around after a shaky start. But it's impressive. But we should have one team maximum in Europa League final. Man United should not be in a Europa League back final. That's an embarrassment that they're in the Europa League at all. They qualify for the Champions League and to not get out of the group stage is a joke. So they've done well to get to the final, but they shouldn't be there. They should be probably not starting the quarters of the Champions League. So it's it's good, but it's also showing a bit of a failure for our teams going forward. It's a very interesting point because um, I completely agree with you about Man United. And Bruno came out and said it just today. We win the Europa League. So what, pat yourselves on the back, lads? Grab a pint and then crack on and actually win something proper next year. Um, Arsenal, who are, I think, 11th in the Premier League, well, 10th in the Premier League, getting to the final would be pretty mad in terms of levels. Um, but they've been terrible this season. But yeah, no, I, I, I tend to agree with you on that one, Scott, if I'm honest, to uh, coin uh, Cully's phrase. Um, Tom, I'm going to come to you. Uh, a word just on PSG specifically. Um, the better side for the first 45 minutes of the first leg, but fallen short of their Champions League dream again. They're only second in league at Earn, and Bappe might be leaving all the rumours around him. How big of a job does Poch have there? 
massive, 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 massive job. And I actually don't think Poch is the right man for it. I love Pochettino. Absolutely love him. But what did he do at Tottenham? He made a team. It was a it was a team. It wasn't one player. Yeah, Kane and Son, they always play well, but he built a team. It wasn't individuals, and that's what got them to where they were. He's not got a team at PSG. You could see it in that in that game. You know, when they lost their heads, they were all over the place. There's a clip of Neymar where he just completely stops playing for about 10 seconds. It's just embarrassing. Like, I know he can be brilliant at times, but you've got Mbappe and Neymar, who honestly, both brilliant, but also huge egos. And then the rest of them are just there to support those two. I don't think that Poch is going to do anything while both of those are at the club. I think you can afford to have one of them. Don't think you can have afford to have both. So, yeah, they were good. They were good in little bursts, but honestly... Didn't see enough from PSG to think that they're going to do anything brilliant yeah. over the next uh, kind of three or four years if they stay in the same same kind of ma- mindset. Uh, that's fair, and I think it's a bit obviously a topic I think for another day. But um, you know, Pochettino's well, he still he won some domestic trophy, didn't he, in in France when they beat Marseille two and in a final. But other than that, he, he's still not won anything. So. Um, and he could get to the end of the season still not winning anything. So it, it's a, I think that'll be a, a conversation for another day. But I want to uh, break off now and go to the Championship Roundup and hand over to uh, our EFL expert, Scotty Williams. Cheers, Alex. Um, yeah, so first thing I'm going to touch on is the heartbreaking one for the Acker this week. So apologies. And uh, we all went through the emotional roller coaster. That was a pointless, pointless 96-minute goal for Tramia that killed us on the bat. Didn't even get anything out of the game. It's just rude of him doing that, really. So we were very close last week, but we will we will have another pop this week. It'll be the last go of the season, so let's fingers crossed. So, yeah, Championship Roundup. So with the top of the league all but tied up, just to wait in those playoffs, our attention this weekend turned to the relegation battle in the Championship. Derby lost again to make it six straight defeats for Rooney's boys and leave them right on the brink of relegation. Wickham managed a win to give them the tiniest bit of hope. They do need results to go their way with a 10-goal swing with Derby though to stay up. Rotherham drew at the weekend and, and could only draw in midweek. They need to win their final league game and hope Derby lose to stay up. A point is all Derby need to stay up. Chef Wednesday need a win against Derby. One exciting last game of the season. And Rotherham not to win for them to stay up. So, perpetations everywhere. At the top, Norwich beat Reading 4-1 to crown them champions with a win for Brentford, securing them third spot and a home tie in the second leg of the playoffs. With fans potentially being allowed in at games, that could be a huge, huge advantage for them. Looking ahead to the weekend, game of the weekend is only one, Derby versus Chef Wednesday. Like, like I mentioned, a win for Wednesday and drop points by Rotherham will see them survive. Derby get a point, they stay up. One for the Akia, Middlesbrough versus Wickham over 1.5. Middlesbrough's last seven, all over 1.5. And it's five out their last six for Wickham, all over 1.5. And then looking ahead to the weekend, it is the final weekend of the Football League season. And it got me thinking, what's our favourite final day moments from the Football League? Um, so we had some, I, I did did message Cully, obviously he can't be here, but he did mention Forrest's collapse, Nottingham Forest's collapse last season. Basically, all but guaranteed a playoff place anyway, needed one point to secure that. They, however, lost 4-1 at home to Stoke and then Swansea beat Reading 4-1. That six-goal swing was enough to drop them out of the playoffs. I know a few Leeds fans, mainly Tom, were loving that, but you know what? They're not not living in your head anymore. You're in the Premier League, leave them alone. They celebrated like they had won the league when they beat us that year. Literally, you should watch it. The celebrations were unbelievable. Like, I don't know what was going through their head. And they completely bottled it. Right. That was very, very, very enjoyable. You, you sometimes do wonder if there's anything else, any space left in Tom's head between Lampard and Forrest. But I'm sure there will be. And uh, <laughs> let's have it over to you, Tom. Talk to us, no doubt, about Leeds. I mean, you've set me up for that one, yeah. But... But yeah, I am going to talk about Leeds because we're actually responsible for one of the greatest uh, final days in um, in the EFL. And it was against Bristol. Um, last day of the season, have to win uh, to get promoted. And I was actually at the stadium this day and I've been to a lot of games at Ellen Road, you know, big European nights, all this kind of stuff. Uh, proper fan, uh, you know. <laughs> but but Bristol may be the best atmosphere I've ever experienced. I genuinely think that was a game 
that with no fans in stadium, Leeds don't win. And because the Bristol players got so panicked, they actually took the lead, 48-minute opener from Daryl Duffy. Um, and Leeds were already down to 10 men. Max Gradle had been sent off. And then we got big goals from none other than Leeds boy Housen um, and Mr. Jermaine Beckford. And uh, honestly, just brilliant atmosphere. I remember watching the uh, uh, the Soccer Saturday Soccer Saturday reports back and uh, yeah, just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant last day comeback. Yeah. All right. Fair play. We'll give it a YouTube later, mate. Um, so yeah, Daryl Duffy as well. Bit of a lower league legend in. So fair play to that. Alex, over to you. What sticks out? Well, you can uh, watch the Sky Sports documentary on this one. I uh, always remember it as a kid. And uh, Jimmy Glass scoring a last-minute winner to keep Carlisle United in the Football League. Um, and the, the funny f- facts about this, he only played three games for Carlisle and scored one goal. He was on loan from Swindon, I looked up. I knew he'd come on loan after the deadline when they weren't even supposed to. They got like a, a, a buy on a transfer. They sold, they sold the keeper, wanted. didn't they? And then panicked and got him on a loan. <laughs> Yeah, and then he played three games. He scored one goal, and it was the 94th minute or whatever it was, and they were 1-1 with Plymouth, and they ended up winning the game 2-1 to relegate Scarborough. And talk about celebrating. The Scarborough fans were all on the pitch. It was... They thought they'd stayed in the football league, and yeah, they've—I um, don't think they've ever come back from that point. To be honest, they've never returned to the football league. So, Jimmy Glass, um, Scarborough fans don't like you very much. Um, but what an absolutely legendary time! And Nigel Pearson mm. was the manager, which I didn't know until I watched that documentary. Um, so yeah, what a, what a great moment! I just remember it as a kid, ten years old, and it was just a wow. The goalkeeper scored to keep him in the league. It was a great moment. It's one of those moments where. I remember where I was. I was in the car. I think I'd been out with my family, maybe at Seaside or somewhere. And I'm, we were just listening to it on the radio. And it was just an incredible moment where the keeper, like you said, scored a goal. Great footage on Soccer Saturday as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's heartbreaking. Scarborough have dropped down and down, um, down the years as well. So it's crazy how much that moment. Great documentary. Jimmy Glass actually been through a lot. And then... It, from the documentaries at Bournemouth, I believe, is one of the, one of the coaches. Yeah. So... Great story for him and a bit of an emotional one, actually, as well. I definitely shed a few tears on that one. So, yeah, unbelievable memory. If you've not seen it, get it watched on YouTube. What a moment. I'll finish with me, and I'm going to be as biased as Tom Hughes and say my favourite final day moment was Scunford United from 2009. We played Tramia uh, to get into the playoffs. Leeds were already in the playoffs, actually. You secured a playoff place in League One that year. Always in the yeah, playoffs. No, yeah, we'll, we'll discuss what happened in a minute. Um, and then, <clears throat> so we needed a point against Tramia to get into the play or to stay in that playoff place. Tramia needed to beat us to get in there. They actually took the lead and it was Cliff Byrne, our captain, who headed in from a corner right in front of me. I can remember it. I was there with my mother like it was yesterday and secured us a playoff spot. And we'll probably talk about it a bit more last week, but the 2009 playoffs were a lot nicer for Scunny than they were for Leeds. Back to you, Alex. <laughs> thanks, uh, thanks, Scott. And uh, Tom's definitely going to be uh, researching that very closely uh, to have a comeback on that one for next week. Uh, we're going to move on quickly to the uh, the next talking point, which is the Premier League's Hall of Fame. They released a shortlist of 23 players um, and uh, they're going to induct, they got fans to vote and they're going to induct a couple more into it as well. Um, they pushed uh, Alan Shearer and Thierry Henry into it initially. Um, so we had a bit of fun and uh, the three of us put together our list of six um, that we would uh, put in, and uh, Tom has uh, nicely collated those for us. Yeah, so I'll go through person by person and then kind of pick out the the similar themes. Um, so I went for Burkamp, Cantona, Drogba, Lampard, Scholes, and Schmeichel. Um, Scott, as a closet Man United fan, has gone for Keane, Gerrard, Schmeichel, Adams, Scholes, and Beckham. Um, and Alex's is Gerard Lampard, Scholes, Schmeichel, Keane, Cantona. I mean, some biased picks there, aren't there? Uh, but I think one of the players we've all got, Schmeichel, uh, and another player we've all got, uh, Paul Scholes. Um, and then there's some common themes, you know, a couple of picks for Gerard, a couple of picks for uh, a couple of picks for Lampard, a couple of picks for Cantona. So some common themes in there. Probably the outliers are Bergkamp, Drogba. Adams, um, I'd say. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, boys, all Man United players. 
Can I, can I, can I go to the the the, uh, the the theme, obviously, the most successful period in Man United's history, and it has to be at the beginning of the Premier League. So, you know, four United players, I didn't go all United, you know, I got put two, put two other guys in there, but and the one that we all had was uh, you know, Paul Scholes, and 10th in the all-time goal-scoring list, eight, yeah, eight for, eight, third in appearance of Man United, obviously, 25 trophies, 11 Premier Leagues. Like, he's just a class player, and every person you speak to, um, as in, I mean, I don't speak to any professional footballers, but every person that you listen talk are as pundits on the TV always say how good he was and Henri was banging on about it and Xavi said he's the best player he's ever played against and all this lot um, absolute class so uh, yeah I'm really glad we've all put, picked uh, pick scores yeah, he's got asthma as well he's got another problem with his knee he's got um so uh, uh, something I can't remember what it's called. It's uh, something that sprung happens to your knee when you're a kid, and he's come through all of that, and he's still one of the best players in history. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd, I'd tend to agree with you there, Alex. And like I say, uh, grow it. You look at the Hall of Fame and who really should be in a Hall of Fame. Unfortunately, for now, with the Premier League being thirty-ish years old, you are looking for that first ten-year block really at the moment. And Man United has absolutely dominated it. So. Man United players are going to... I was trying to find more Leeds players from there, but I was really struggling. So um, I just had to go with those ones. Um, and he's scunny in there, mate. Scun fought, mate. Wow. No, we're in the proper leagues <laughs> down, down below <laughs> where the real football is. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, I think as well, it's, uh, it's notable that we all put people in there from the great Arsenal teams of the 90s and uh, early noughties as well. Um, it, you know... Tony Adams been put in there as someone that you put in, yeah. Scott, individually. Yeah, fantastic. Um, couldn't leave him out. For me, I was trying to do a nice mix of we've got goalkeeper and Schmeichel, some infielders, attackers, but I thought it was important to have a defender in there. And he really did epitomise that whole Arsenal team. When Wenger came in, he ch- changed the culture of the the diet, and he, not just for Arsenal, but for the whole Premier League. And Adams, I just remember doing a stupid run last game of the season. I don't know why he was there, but the commentary was like, that sums it all up. And then he just absolutely volleyed it in. So he was an absolute stalwart and he was such a driving force behind that team. And they let the amazing, talented players do what they did in front of him because they knew there was a solid, solid back four behind. They played such such beautiful football, Arsenal, as well, in that period. It It wasn't just winning football, it was beautiful football. You know, that is, if you ask me you know, in British football, who's played the best football? You'd probably say City these days, but going back then, it's always Arsenal. Arsenal are the ones that stick out. And that, they were so nice to watch that 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 culture has stuck with them for 20 years, even when they were, you know, they've been really poor, getting worse and worse. It's still stuck with them. They're still known as a club that play nice football. And um, that's why I had to include Bergkamp in mind. You know, show me a player that scored a goal like that goal against Newcastle. I mean, that football intelligence is just... Absolutely unrivaled. Bergkamp was a different a different style of player than you see these days. And the amount of goals he would have had if he flew to uh, like European games as well. Just not forget, obviously never played them. So yeah, I agree. And he's one of the first, wasn't he? One of the first stars from abroad that came in and just absolutely ripped it up. Yeah, definitely. It was. It was. It, to be fair, I, I put Cantona in, but I, and over over Bergkamp in terms of like the the striker and that for that sort of similar impact, you know. And it's um, it I, I did the same as you, Scott, in terms of trying to put a blend in terms of position. And I, I think talking about Tony Adams and Patrick Vieira is on the list as well, but Roy Keane was on my list and. Obviously, he had his con- controversies at different times, um, but he was the manager on the pitch, Ferguson always used to call him. And I will never, ever forget that game against Juventus in the Champions League semi-final. And Ferguson described it in his in his book mm. as uh, Keane would rather die of exhaustion than lose a game of football. And he was the ultimate team player. Like He's the man I would want on my team out on that pitch battling with me. And that's why I had to put him in. And there's, there's no wonder he was, became such a great captain. Um, for, for us as well, he was fantastic. That 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 goal just sticks out in my mind. He's already he's already out of the final. He's already out of it. He's suspended for the final. And he bags a header from a corner and just drags the team there. That's heroic, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And um, Tom, I wanted to ask quickly as well on your list. Um, you had uh, Didier Drogba as well. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about Drogba. Well, it defines that period of dominance for Chelsea. You know, there's been a lot of teams that have gone through little peaks and troughs over the Premier League era. Chelsea, Didier Drogba, I mean, probably 
up there with oh, I, I'm I'm hard pushed to think of any better, better <laughs> yeah. African players. You know, yeah. he was he was Thanks. so 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 good. And honestly, I don't think Jose would have won what he won with Chelsea if it wasn't for Drogba. So um, he was the perfect striker for a Chelsea to, for a, a Jose team. And uh, yeah, he was just brilliant, dominating, dominating defenses. He was strong, he was quick, he was agile, but his finishing was also elegant. Um, he was just a total centre forward. Do you ever remember like another team? Because I, I don't remember ever another team playing with one centre forward until Drogba. I, every every time it was like four four two, it was always like two up front pretty much. And I feel like Drogba like defined that solo man up front role. I felt like he was like the first man I ever watched play football, and I was like, my god, he's he's playing up front by himself. Well, it's a really he's- good point, and it just shows you how good he was because when you're playing up front by yourself, you know, you have to be powerful enough, quick enough, strong enough to pressure that entire back line for a team. Um, yeah, I just think Drogba was Drogba was brilliant. I feel like sometimes he gets forgotten. Um, but yeah. he's just a, a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant player. I'll um, we'll uh, move it on from this, guys. But great nostalgic chat. Really enjoyed yeah, that it, one as well. It was nice of you guys to vary the position choices, even if you didn't vary the team. So thanks for listening <laughs> to the Manchester United Hall of Fame, there, guys. <laughs> well, don't worry. We got the uh, chat about Adams Bird Camp, and we got Drogba in as well. I didn't make you talk about Lampard, uh, Tom. So you're fine. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure in 15 years' time, Bamford will be on that chat. <laughs> Oh, oh Rafinha I mean, as well. So, well. Do you know who will be? Stuart no, Dallas. Will be. The man should be Stuart on there Dallas, already. Stuart Dallas is more of a shout than Bamford. Um, to take it on to something a little bit more serious, obviously we came off social media last week and did a short and put version of our podcast um, and we joined the Premier League in terms of a social media boycott. Scott, just briefly, your thoughts on the Premier League social media boycott and how much of a difference in a statement do you, uh, do you think it'll make? Yeah, um, I think it's a good thing that they did something. Will it make any impact at all? In my opinion, zero impact. Um, if anyone's similar to me, I didn't I didn't particularly notice too much this weekend, if I'm honest. There's a, I don't know if it's just me and I follow a lot of different outlets on my social media, not just my club, etc. I follow a lot out there and the, I keep up to date with football apps and Sky Sports News and other ways. But I don't think it got the impact that it needed or are we still really is anyone really talking about it still they all came back and put the post on which was great but it, what and I don't need to keep talking about we talked about it a lot a couple of weeks ago but for any change in football to have we need to everyone just needs to do what they did a week well a couple of weeks ago when it was this uh, super super Champions League whatever it was called um, and do that because unfortunately I don't see it doing an impact because what what impact was it meant to do? Like, because you didn't. I, I, yeah. I massively agree with yeah. you, Scott. Because honestly, what a three day hiatus off social mm-hmm. media. I get the principle of it, but if these guys really want to make an impact, imagine if the whole footballing community came out and said, "We're not coming back on social media until this has been addressed yeah. properly," and they just left social media. But they won't oh, do thanks. it. Let's be honest, because some of them are making quite a bit of money off it, yeah. right? And I'm not gonna. I'm not going to say that that's that everyone's the same, so you can't throw them all into the same basket. But ultimately, it always comes down to money. And if they really wanted to force social media companies to change, they would all take themselves off it permanently until it's fixed properly. And the social media companies would fix it like that then because they'd want them back because of the exposure that that would cause them. So if they really want to make a difference, just take yourselves off it permanently until it's fixed. Great. There was a guy who was on the on on TV, and I just thought it was quite a funny analogy. He said it's like going on a diet for three days and expecting you to get really thin. Yeah. And he, he's like, "Yeah, it kind of, kind of is." So if you want to have a real impact on those companies that make cake, you need to stop eating cake altogether. <laughs> and it was, it, I just thought it was quite a funny analogy, but also it worked the same. And don't get me wrong; I think it it, it gave awareness to a problem. Yeah. But will it solve a problem? Absolutely not. And I, I tend to agree on that one, Scott. Um, Tom, um, social media abuse and abuse in general has a huge factor on diversity in football, uh, particularly given the extent of the racial abuse we're seeing on a weekly basis now. Um, do you think social media abuse has a, has, is a, plays a part in that and how heavy is it? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I spoke to Cully about this. And I actually think diversity in football has an impact on the abuse that, that players get on social media. I don't think there's enough... Uh, we can all probably sit here and safely say there's not enough diversity in football. 
you know, there's been some good developments over recent weeks, but it's 2021 and we're talking about, you know, the first games of football where a woman's refereed and all these kind of things, you know, it's not just racism. It's also gender equality and all that kind of stuff. And honestly, if you want to cut it out, you've got to reflect uh, the diversity of the country in the build-up of football, and then that will filter through and people will see that. But if you don't have that diversity in football, then it sends the wrong message. And it's not just—it's not fair to just pin this on football. It's the same for a lot of our society, but football is lagging behind massively um, and probably need to be more proactive. You see it. How many, how many famous and successful black players have we had? And we still have so few managers. Um, and wrong with the way that football set up just is. Yeah, no, I, I, again, uh, well said, Tom. Um, and it's great to see more um, people coming from different ethnic backgrounds coming through in the Premier League in terms of player-wise. And there's a lot more um, uh, black and ethnic minority players than there, ha- there was in the past. And hopefully that will continue to filter through into into managers and opportunities that are there given as well as as, as you go. I mean, obviously, things aren't going to change overnight, but hopefully um, that's going to be something that ends to help keep pushing forward. It, it needs to start with the grassroots as well, though, doesn't it? Because it's not just at the top and the football uh, uh, football ladder you go down to grassroots and i bet there's the same same number of um minorities not being able to have those opportunities in the lower league as well so yeah i think it's it needs to start from the ground up and uh yeah it's so much to do so much to do it's embarrassing it is. Um, so thanks, guys, for talking about that. That's uh, a little bit more serious of a topic there. Uh, and what I'll do now to move it on is to uh, talk about fantasy football and uh, and uh, have a, a conversation about one of the most ridiculous game weeks that's ever happened to me in my entire life with games being called off and cancelled and I only put, I think, six players out in general anyway. So I'm just going to have a bit of a moan about that in a minute. So you're ready for it. Uh, Friday deadline this week. Uh, it's at 630, uh, 6.30, 6.30. It's the first triple game week I can see on record since 2007 that's been announced for Manchester United. It is, um, I think it was for Middlesbrough that time before Aston Villa. Um, but first, let's reflect on game week 34. The low average this week, 39 points, United and Liverpool game being cancelled. Bale's hat-trick, 21 points. He scored. He has scored four of the six goals so far under Ryan Mason. Um, four goals that Spurs scored against Sheffield United and no returns for Harry Kane, who was captained by 88.6% of the top 10k. <laughs> oh dear. Um, Serge Aurier got two assists in that game in a clean sheet, 14 points. And Son, who was captained by 9% of overall managers, got a goal and an assist and 12 points. Arsenal had two players with double-digit returns. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang returned from malaria, got 12 points. And El Nene added 11 points to his total of 33 he had before that game week. Um, we all have our moment in the sun, mate. So well done for that one. Pat yourself on the back. Um, Kai Havertz, 16 points, two goals. And I've got to say, I'd love to have a gamble on him, but the heavy rotation makes me nervous uh, with two cup finals to come for Chelsea. But I do think he's going to be a player for next season, absolutely. Um on with whoever Tuchel gets uh, gets working with, uh, Timo Werner, for example. Uh, Antonio returned 13 points, someone definitely to pay attention to, two goals and 90 minutes on his return from fitness. And finally, Benjamin Mendy, 12 points. He has 35 points off his loss last four starts, but he's still probably the third choice left back at Man City behind Cancelo and Zinchenko. Uh, lads, I'm going to come to you for your game week reviews. Scotty Williams. First again this week. Best game week out of the lads for the second week in a row. 47 points, your fourth green arrow in a row. And it takes you to your best overall rank of the season so far at 144k. And you still have your free hit left to play. Talk to me. Yeah, he's back, isn't he? The boy is back. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to start close to Captain Son, but I think I'd bottled it, didn't I? I think I was always going to uh, Captain Kane. So yeah, having Sonny in there, though, still in the team was great. Um, I kind of got lucky, I think, because I did have Mount on the bench, but obviously he came on comfortably. And uh, Feltman as well against Leeds, had him on the bench, but came on. And Mendy, mm-hmm. Chelsea, seven points, always nice. So, yeah, a couple of a couple of them players um, that yeah, have just, just done well for me this week. And, yeah, it was it was good. Sneaked above you again, haven't I? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have. Yeah, he's gone above me. I had an absolute dire game week. Worst out of everyone here. Um, I'll have to talk about it now, Matt, as well. 31 points, big red arrow down to 180k. I only got seven players out. 
I went against going for Bruno to Bale or to Son, which was what I was going to do because Bruno has the double game week that's now turned into a triple game week and a good run at the end of the season, and that absolutely killed me. But thankfully, I had Kalecci as captain over Kane, so that uh, did save my blushes a little bit. Um, Cully, 45 points this week, and the big news, the big news on Cully Matheru, only his seventh game week of the season where he didn't take a four-point hit at least. Well done. Um, he, he got a green arrow to 455k. And Tom, 41 points, your ninth green arrow in the last 11, and you are in the top one million managers for the first time this season at 991k. Ooh. Talk to me. Yeah, I mean it should be an it shouldn't be an achievement, but it is, isn't it? Top one million. Um, I don't think that's something I'll be writing home about, but it's a it's a gain of something like two point two million places from week seventeen. So if you want to look at it in that context, I bet you a lot of those people aren't playing, but it's nice. And I, and I guess for the mini leagues, it's put me to the top of a couple of my mini leagues, and the bottom it's it's allowed me to get off the bottom of some of the other ones. So I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, I hate Man United. Anyway, I hate them more this week. You know, why could their fans not be more angry about this before Super League so that they didn't ruin my fantasy football comeback? Uh, but it's massively gone to the benefit of people that put Man U players in their teams. So not only have I suffered this week, I'm going to suffer next week as well because of it. So screw you, Man United. It's a great lead into what I'm going to talk about now, Tom. So the big news is there is a triple game week. Manchester United have three games in five days, Aston Villa away, followed by Leicester and Liverpool at home. But I have to say, Tom, I really doubt that pretty much any of the players will play all three games. Maybe uh, Harry Maguire is the main person who will probably play all three games. Uh, maybe Dean Henderson, but even then he's, he's known to rotate with David De Gea. The other players that stand a chance are Wambasaka, Bruno, Greenwood and maybe McTominay. Those guys will probably, well, they'll definitely start two of the games, if not all three. Um, I had a, a question this week of how many Man United players should I have and should I take hits to get them? And I think don't take minus hits, minus points to bring in Man United players if you're then going to have to take them out for another minus next week to put out 10 or 11 players. Because don't forget that Arsenal, Chelsea, Leicester and Man United all don't play in game week 36. So it's a triple game week followed by a blank. Um, So don't take minus hits to bring them in to take minus hits to take them out because then you're going to have to have really benefited by eight points for it to be worthwhile. And that's just a break even. Don't compromise your team for the rest of the season with it. um, Because like I say, they won't all play. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm happy with having Bruno and Greenwood, for example. I'm not going to bring any more in, um, and they're in my team anyway, so I'm happy with that. Um, the other double game week teams that we need to look at, so we've got Leicester, Liverpool and Aston Villa, um, who have obviously Man United, and then they have also Newcastle to Leicester, Southampton for Liverpool and Everton for Aston Villa. Um, Everton have Villa and West Ham United. Uh, West Ham and Villa, funnily enough, with the statistics that I thought I would uh, bring up for you, Tom, which you said I was going to talk about earlier, um, they are fifth and seventh in the amount of shots they faced in the last 10 game weeks. And they've only got three clean sheets between them um, in that period of time, which is 21 matches. They have the fourth and sixth worst defences over that time. Um, Everton's defence is quite middle of the road, but Dina is a great option for his attacking potential. Dominic Calvert-Lewin scored last week and is only owned by 6% of the top 10k managers, 27% overall. But, uh, you know, for the managers in the areas we're looking at, he's probably quite lowly owned. Um, Hammers, if he's fit, is an option. Sigurdsson, if he isn't fit, Chambers isn't fit, definitely is an option. He takes penalties as well. And Richarlison's a differential pick that I kind of like. Um, they also then play Sheffield United and Wolves before City on the last day of the season. So Everton assets are something to look at. Uh, I wouldn't double up on their defence. That was another question I got asked. If you're going to get a defender in Dini for his attacking returns, a key. Um, Southampton have Palace as well as Liverpool. Arsenal have West Brom and Chelsea. Chelsea have Arsenal and City, which is very tough. Um, the best double game week from a stats perspective, Crystal Palace. So they play Southampton and Sheffield United, who both have the equal worst defences over the last 10 game weeks and also are facing the highest number of uh, highest number of shots. 
But Palace are bottom of the amount of shots that they've had over that period, and Wilfred Zaha isn't even in the top 10 for any stats for any mid, mid-price midfielders. Um, but if you've got gambling problems, maybe go for Zaha. You never know. He probably wants that transfer at the end of the season again, so he's putting himself in the in the window. Um, and he's quite cheap as well. Uh, transfers, look at, looking at the best fixtures towards the end of the season, who also have a double game week. Liverpool and Everton, um, uh, classic, like I say, Salah and Trent, Dina DCL. Um, if you're doing what I'm doing, and uh, I had a transfer banked, and I'm actually using this transfer this week to set myself up for the rest of the season. I'm not actually using it to get a double game week player in this week. Uh, I'm looking at getting uh, Stuart Dallas in for Antonio Rudiger and just benching Dallas. Uh, but Leeds, Dallas, Meslier and Rafinha, if he's fit. West Ham, looking at the wing backs, Antonio and Lingard. I would have said Bowen, but now Antonio's back. Kind of takes Bowen out of being an option, really, for me. It looks like he's going to be the one that gets rotated. Any of the front three for Spurs, Bale, of course, looks like he's going to play every time. And even Burnley, Chris Wood, and maybe even Dwight McNeil. Why not? He has a couple of double-digit returns a season, doesn't he? Bless him. Um, my move, I say, is, uh, is Rudiger uh, out for Dallas. Um, for those who have chips left, so there's a couple of people who have chips left. Um, the top 10K stats on these are 7.42% of people have their free hits left. Looking at it, obviously, it's all team dependent, but probably game week 36 looks the optimal. Um, but if not, then maybe game week 38. You know, that matters uh, for you, Scott. If you've got um, you know probably eight double game weekers out this week, I wouldn't even worry about it um, for uh, using it this week, probably for next. Bench week boost has to be this week, really. Wildcard, get on with it and use it now. Game week 35, maximise it. Get your Liverpool and Everton players in and then plan for the rest of the season. And your triple captain, it's now or never, lads. Just use it. Crikey, probably Bruno, if you're going to use it on anyone this week. And that takes me finally on to captaincy. Bruno, triple game week. Top scoring fantasy player, probably got to be done. But maybe Greenwood is a differential. And you know what? You can't rule out Maguire if you're going to play all three games. They've only conceded, I think, three goals in the last 10 games. Something ridiculous. Uh, Salah is an option. Southampton by itself is an option to captain Salah. Um, and the form he's looking at. Inacho can't be forgotten with his form. And they are playing Newcastle and then Man United. And uh, if you're looking for differentials, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And if you've got real gambling problems, Wilfred Zaha. Sorry about that. Um, why not uh, lads I don't know who you're looking at captains for this week um, I know you've you've got Bruno Scott I think uh, have you not got Bruno have you got rid of him who are you looking at for captaincy I know Tom doesn't have Bruno who yeah I got rid of Bruno a couple week, of weeks ago and got Salah in um, so Salah probably looking at captain in um, Southampton at home my new away yeah probably probably Salah potentially nah do you know what Salah not yeah. a good captain it's him <laughs> and uh, and Tom, no Man United players in your team. It'll be Salah or Kalechi. Ian Acho's not let me down. He's, he's had a, at least an assist, I think, in the last four or five games now, um, including a couple of double double uh, figure pointers. Also, I'm I'm tempted to go with put my faith with Kalechi, but it'll be one of them too. Yeah, spot on. Um, and it's either Bruno or if I've got a problem with my gambling and trying to gain places back, it might be Mason Greenwood for me. Um, he's definitely in form anyway as a Man United player. And I, I think he'll definitely get at least two of the three games and probably the first game against Villa, which is the one that you really want your player for, um, I think, for, for Man United. Sorry for the Villa fans listening, but it's got to be the one you target. So... Thank you very much for listening to that one. I'm going to hand that one over to Scott, who's going to do his EFL roundup for League One and League Two. Uh, so uh, over Lovely. to you, Scott. Cheers, Alex. So starting with League One. Uh, so at the top of the league, the game of the day was undoubtedly that of second place Peterborough versus third place Lincoln. A point for the posh would be enough to take them up, whilst Lincoln knew a win for them and a win in midweek would take it to the final game of the season. All looked to be going so well for Lincoln, who runs to a 3-0 lead with less than half an hour left to play. However, a 96-minute Johnson-Clark-Harris penalty completed an incredible comeback, giving Peterborough the point they needed to set them back into the championship. Elsewhere, Hull won to crown then champions. Blackpool and Charlton won in midweek to join Lincoln in the playoffs. The final spot will go to the final game with one point separating Portsmouth, Oxford and Charlton. At the bottom, there were still four teams fighting for their lives and desperately trying not to join Swindon and Bristol Rovers in relegation to League Two. All four teams, however, lost 
meaning that Northampton and Rochdale will be playing League Two football next season. Looking ahead to the weekend, game of the weekend, Pompey versus Atkinson, Charlton versus Hull, Oxford versus Burton. Only games at the weekend that have anything riding on them, but are massively important for some of those clubs involved. And one for the Acker, Charlton versus Hull, both teams to score. Charlton have scored in four of the last five. Hull have scored in the last 14. And finally, into League Two. So going into the League Two this weekend, there is still loads to play for at both ends of the table. Starting on Friday night, second place Cambridge knew a win against Harrogate would mean they would join Cheltenham in being promoted back to League One. And what an incredible game it turned out to be. Harrogate stormed to a 20-minute 3-0 lead, then goals were exchanged before an 84th-minute Harrogate goal clinched them all three points in a 5-4 thriller. Cambridge still got a bit of work to do. Bolton knew a win would take them back up to League One. However, they lost to playoff hopefuls Exeter. Morecambe did win to take it to the last game of the season. Only two points separate Cambridge, Bolton and Morecambe with two automatic promotion spots still up for grabs. Elsewhere, nine-man Salford lost to drop them out of the playoffs, while Exeter and Forest Green Rovers all won to keep them in with a chance of going into the final game. At the bottom, Southend knew they must win handsomely against Barrow and hope Scunthorpe lost to have any chance whatsoever staying up. They did manage a 2-1 win. However, my boys managed a ball draw with Bradford to limp over the line. That was way too close to call for a biased Scunthorpe United fan. Game of the weekend, any games involving Cheltenham, Cambridge, Bolton, Markham, Newport, Tramia, Forest Green Rovers, Exeter, Salford. All them teams still have things to play for. Uh, so, yeah, exciting end to League Two. And finally, one for the Acker, Cambridge versus Grimsby, over 2.5. 22 goals in their last five games for Cambridge, averaging of over four a game. They need a win for the title and four of the last five for Grimsby. All over 2.5. Exciting weekend ahead. Back to you, Al. It sounds very exciting. It sounds like there's quite a lot on the line still to play for, so I'm looking forward to uh, sweating those games this weekend. So thank you very much for that uh, that roundup, Scott. And now I'm going to hand over for our final part of the podcast to Mr Thomas Hughes for his quick-fire questions. Cheers, Rexy. Uh, we're going to start with another unbiased uh, Man United opinion. <laughs> uh, Alex, uh, as a Man United fan, honestly, what are your thoughts on the Glazer protests? Um, good, bad, ugly? Give us it all. Well, it's a, it's a, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you know, obviously, we don't condone any violence and any protests that take it over the line. It's it's not acceptable in any way, shape, or form. Um, but everyone, anyone's deluded who thinks that this is just all based on the Super League. This has been, you know, protests like this have been coming for a long period of time, and you know, they just continue to to, to rumble on and on and on. Um, my problem, my my problem is, is that. It's uh, obviously the Glazers are sucking the money out of the club. I, I'm nervous about if they sell it to anybody else. Who do they sell it to? Is it going to be another businessman? It needs to be a fan. We're entering into a lot of uncertain, choppy waters uh, with whatever they want to do, and they're not looking like they're wanting to sell it anyway. To be honest with you, but um, keep the protests coming and make sure they're peaceful and calm. And um, yeah, I would. I was. I'm all. I was all for it this weekend, and it was just such a shame to see that because all that people will ever notice now is that it was violent and someone got hurt, whereas actually thousands of people were there protesting with families and you know just to, to, for their local club and uh, and yeah the media will just beat you down and pick on the negative. So let's hope that we have a peaceful one next time. Yeah, I think I agree with you. It always detracts from the message, doesn't it? Uh, especially when the pictures that will be plastered all over the papers will be a load of United fans with beers in their hand as well. It just makes it look like something that it isn't. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, just very quickly, if it happens again, uh, you know, what, what, what's the outcome of that? If Because there's rumours that they're going to try and block that game again. What do you think would be the follow-up to that? Because there wouldn't be time to reschedule the game. So would Man United forfeit the points in that one? Yeah, that's probably what would happen because at the end of the day, like if we're stopping a game going ahead, and I know, um, I think it was Middlesbrough a few years ago, I was chatting to one of our mates about this, and he said, "Yeah, well, they they couldn't fulfil a fixture, so they got dock points, and that's what should happen to Man United. Yeah, we should get dock points if we're we're stopping a fixture being facilitated, and that's what the rule is. Then then yeah, it should uh, if they can't finish it before the end of the season, that's got to happen, hasn't it? Really, let's be honest. Scotty Lukaku. 
on his way back to the Premier League, apparently, um, and back to Chelsea again, apparently, um, for £80 million. Uh, would that be a good move for both the club and the player, uh, you know, as a backup to uh, Harlan? Uh, no. get him? Lukaku's way too good to be a backup to anyone. Um, he's a fant- he's, his record in the Premier League, 53 goals for Everton, 15 on loan at Everton, 28 goals for Man U, 17 and 35 for West Brom. No, I I think the Premier League and having this treat them like shit. Not the Premier League, but I've I've. So you think you you think instead of you think instead I don't of think, I don't think it'd be a good move for Lukaku. I think he's done with the Premier League. I don't think he's had the respect he deserves from the managers he's played under in the Premier League. I think he's a. I think he's, I've always rated him as a great player. And what forty four goals and six nine games for Inter? Stay over there, lad. Less hassle in it. I don't I don't think Chelsea should. Should buy him either. Just go for Haaland. What a waste of money. Just letting Lukaku, what a loss. And that will always be touted on him when he goes back there. He's going back. He's going back for all that. No. But if they can't get Haaland, no, they've got they Mason can't Mount. get him. He can play that position. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Scott, uh, different league, but um, and you've talked about it in your little roundup. But what's your gut feeling on the last day of the championship? You got Sheffield Wednesday, Derby, and Rotherham all in with a shout. I think Wickham will win twelve nil, and results going to go away, and they're going to stay up. Um, <laughs> hey, football league, and it's the last game of the season. Uh, the fact that Derby and Sheffield Wednesday play each other just adds to it. Uh, I kind of want Rotherham to stay up because the, they are the underdogs. Obviously, Sheffield Chef Wednesday had six points deducted. Um, but my gut feeling is Derby sneak and scrape over the line. But I'd love to see Rotherham do it. Love it. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I want Rotherham to do it, uh, definitely. Um, Alex, another tier of European football. Moving on from the Super League fiasco, but we're now going into a different fiasco in the European Conference League. Um I know a lot of people in England will say, you know, there's not a lot of respect put on even the Europa League here. And, um, you know, potentially there's good reason for that. Champions League's the biggest tournament. But surely this allows a lot of teams around Europe, a lot of leagues that maybe don't get that European exposure to start getting involved. Is that not a good thing? Yeah, I, I, I do. It's um, I think it's uh, it's just where it stops, isn't it? So do then do you do another tier and then do you do another tier but uh, yeah i think i think it's good it gets you know let's say for example spurs come seventh and then a team who would never normally have even got to play european football uh gets to go to um wild lane or the new spurs stadium it's still called wild lane isn't it and uh and gets to play them there and it's just yeah i don't think i don't think it's a bad thing i think people get very elitist um, and actually, it gives people a really good opportunity. Other clubs a really good opportunity to, to qualify for a European competition and to, to play European football. Yeah, I guess the problem with all these competitions is, you know, we're getting less and less time and the calendar to play them. That's the big issue. Is not necessarily the integrity of the competitions themselves, but how are you going to fit them all in? One tournament gets spans and another one gets compromised, doesn't it? So, uh, yeah, I would say so it's a good point. Um, Scott, we're talking about Drogba playing as. Uh, kind of a solo striker and how good he was. But Leicester are starting to make two strikers popular again, uh, playing Vardy and Ian Acho. Uh, do you see that? Do you see clubs returning to a two-striker system? Because a lot of teams play with three up front. With yeah, a, I think it's class. We, we were discussing this over there, weren't we, Tom? Um, I think it just proves how good a manager Brendan Rodgers is, the fact that he's utilised that. Everything comes back in fashion and everyone finds a way of defending against a certain formation and then... Therefore, we can attack in a different way. So it's a bit like fashion. I, you know, I'm obviously quite into my fashion, so I know it all goes around in circles, <laughs> and everything comes back. And it's just like formations in football; it comes back. If you can have it working, like Leicester are, yeah, brilliant. It's great, isn't it? So yeah, happy. Well done, Brendan, manager of the season. <laughs> uh, speaking of managers. Alex, uh, Jose to Roma. Did anyone see that coming? Uh, kind of out of nowhere, but honestly, I think that's a really good appointment for him. You know, go and do it at a club where maybe the expectations aren't quite as high, rebuild his profile again, or is this just the end of Jose Mourinho? I, I tell you who didn't see it coming, uh, Chris Smalling and Enric Mkhitaryan. <laughs> they, they won't be very happy about it. Um, but uh, yeah, they'll probably be looking to find themselves a new club this summer. 
Um, but yeah, Jose uh, to Roma. Roma fans are crazy. Um, we found this out. They're, they're very, they're super, super passionate. It's probably one of the main teams that's followed in, in Italy, if not the main team that's followed in Italy. Um, it's definitely like the, the fans club and the people's club. Uh, and uh, I'm going to be really boring and say, yeah, I, I think Jose actually could do really, really well there. And um, it could be a bit of a match made in heaven. But I did think it was quite funny when I saw that. And uh, I was like, oh, Chris Smalling doesn't stand a chance, does he? The poor lad. He, he's, he's played really well for them. He's one of the most important players. And then Jose follows him there. Yeah, it'll be an interesting one. Yep, good answers. Uh, and back over to you, Alex, to finish us off. Great stuff. Well, thank, thanks uh, thanks a lot, lads. Um, and uh, thank you for bearing with me as the uh, stand-in pretend host uh, today. And uh, we'll definitely be happy to have Cully back. We'll do, um, be full we'll strength. do a quick uh, Don't forget to... See who did it there. We'll put that on the uh, Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> How can you imagine? Twitter, uh, in, in, Instagram poll. Get, get rid of the FF guru who got 31 points this week. Um, <laughs> don't forget to give us a follow. Uh, we are on in football world on social media as well, on in football pod on Instagram and on in football Pete on Twitter. If you do have a bet on the one for the actor this week, please remember to gamble responsibly and hopefully not get screwed over in the last minute pointlessly. Um, so next week we hope to be uh, back to full strength and we'll be covering all things EFL and FPL as well as the main talking points from the weekend's Premier League games and the domestic season is beginning to reach its climax. Thank you all for listening and we'll speak to you again next week.